part of and doing. All right, so let's close out Matthew today. I, it's been a long time coming. I started preaching in Matthew, catch this, December 2015. <laughs> That's what I said. Wow. And there's, I didn't count the number of messages. I, I had an opportunity to do that, but I thought there's a couple of hours that would be better spent in another way. So I just didn't count them, but they, they are way up there in the number of messages that I've been able to preach. And it's been good for me because the preacher always learns more than anybody as the teacher always learns more than the, the people who are listening. So I've really been growing and understanding uh, God's Word and the teachings of Christ in Matthew. And uh, I, I would do it all over again if we could. If you'd show up next week, we could go right back to Matthew 1 and do it another three and a half years, and we would barely be touching the surface of the truth that is available in that gospel. But we're not going to do that. I'm going to go to a four-part series uh, next week on the Christian life, and we'll do that for four Sundays. Then I'm going to go into the summer with the 23rd Psalm and have about six Sundays where we're looking at the 23rd Psalm and the rich truths there. So I'm hoping that you're going to be with us during that time. But today we're closing Matthew, so we're in the 28th chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 16. Follow along in your Bibles, if you will. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, obviously, we're going to concentrate on verses 18, 19, and 20, but you cannot skip verse 16 and 17 to get there because 16 and 17 is really insightful. Remember, Jesus had a prearranged appointment with the disciples. He talked about it prior to his crucifixion and on the morning of his resurrection he told the women that he met tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee and so this has been a time that's been coming for a while really Bible scholars don't know exactly the time in which this took place in the period after the resurrection or before the ascension I'm thinking it's about three or four weeks into uh, the period of time before his, his uh, before his ascension, after the resurrection. But at any rate, he has gone to that place where he said he would go. And he's been making some appearances to the disciples. It's not like they have not seen him. In fact, we know that he saw them on the night of his resurrection. That morning he was resurrected. That evening he met with the disciples in the upper room, and the majority of them were there. Thomas wasn't there, as you know. But they were all meeting back again. Jesus appeared to them in the same, uh, among the same group, this time with Thomas. And that was a week after the resurrection. And there have been about a dozen occurrences in the scripture where Jesus has met with his followers after the resurrection. They saw him. They heard his teaching. They ate with him. Uh, they interacted with him. They were the witnesses of his resurrection. It wasn't just his his immediate disciples it was the greater number of at least 500 who he met with as well and that's really what Matthew is talking about it's what the Apostle Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians that he met with 500 at one time I really think that is the scene that Matthew is describing for us in Matthew 28 that group of 500 who had gathered together and it makes sense because a lot of Jesus's ministry took place in the region of Galilee so he had a lot of followers in Galilee. It makes sense that he would tell the disciples to go there. Now, if it was just a meet up at a designated place, it's almost a week's journey 
to walk the 120 miles or so from Jerusalem to Galilee, where, where this location is. So it wouldn't make sense that Jesus says to his disciples, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. And he meets them in Galilee, then they all walk back to Jerusalem. That didn't make sense. But it does make sense if he had 500 or so followers there and he wanted them to see him in his resurrected place and to see him, see him deliver this uh, commissioning statement to them, it makes sense, meet me there. And so they make the journey five, six-day journey, whatever it is, and meet him there along with them, and he gives them the direction. Now, I'm always insightful to what Matthew must be thinking as he's so transparent in this passage and in other places. To me, it gives the authenticity to the, to the Scripture that Matthew is genuine in his writing about the experiences because he's not just writing about the good things, he's writing about the bad things as well. So when you recount history, and you're in the middle of the history, you often recount the better part of the history. You don't write in the bad parts that you were involved in. But Matthew is one of these that's transparent. Of course, the spirit who is directing him in writing the account is the spirit of truth. So he is making sure that all things are truthful that are being written for us to have the insight. Matthew says that when the 500, he just saw his disciples, when the disciples see him, they worshipped him, some doubted. And so for him to be transparent about that is really an interesting aspect of the narrative because you would think nobody would doubt, certainly not the apostles who had spent days with him at various places. But here they are in the midst of uh, Galilee and some are embracing him and worshiping him. Some are doubting. Now, you know doubt is to have an, a sense of disbelief or suspicion of belief or a hesitancy. And certainly that's what's happening here. Uh, Matthew only uses this term two times in the entirety of the 28 chapters of his gospel account, the word doubt, only used twice. It's here, and it's also, remember, when the disciples are in the boat and they're crossing Lake Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, and they're crossing and the waters are pretty stormy because a, a real violent storm has occurred. That makes sense because it's so many feet below uh, the grade of the mountains around them, and it, it creates quite a, a windy, stormy condition. And they're in the boat, tossed pretty violently. They're in fear of their lives. And they are even more fearful when they see what they think is going to be a ghost that's walking on the water towards them. And this just really rattles them until they discover that it's not a ghost, it's actually Jesus. Remember Peter's words to him, bid me to come to you, just, just ask me, tell me that I can come to you. Because he too wanted to come to Jesus and walk, defying the laws of nature walk to where Jesus is and he said come and Peter gets out of the boat and he is really challenged in that he begins to walk but remember the scripture says that he takes his eyes off Jesus and he puts his eyes on the wind and all that's chaotic around him and in that he hesitates or he doubts that's the term that Matthew is using in that part of the scripture and that's the part that he's using here 
that some people worshiped and some doubted so i'm sensing this is a hesitancy if you're peter and you're walking on water to jesus and you look at the wind and all the chaos around you and you hesitate in the walk to him taking your eyes off him you're gonna sink you remember what jesus is like let me help you and he takes him by the hand and pulls him up out of that uh, underneath the water and brings him into the boat and suddenly calms the storm and the wind who else can do that but the son of god who created sustains all things well so this is the term for doubt and this is what is happening in this area as jesus is on that mount now remember you got to put all this together he is about to disclose to them the great commission everybody know what the great commission is uh, george barner has done some couple of researches uh, to people christian people asking about defining the great commission and only about 20 percent of churchgoers can actually define what the great commission is that is not meadowbrook meadowbrook knows the great commission and it's in this text that i just read to you we know what that is because it's the dna of us to make disciples and to baptize and to teach people the word of god and know that you have the presence of god with you as you're doing that in the authority of jesus christ that's the great commission so this is one of those passages that's like the grand kahuna of passages for our church it's it is the marching orders of the church this isn't this isn't just some passage that doesn't make a lot of uh, headlines this is a major headline for meadowbrook in every church that's a follower of jesus christ where jesus is declaring his authority and he commissions those followers of his saying go and make disciples of all nations this is a big one what's intriguing to me is in the big one you have doubters you have people that are doubting is he really who we think he is is he really resurrected is this really what i'm seeing is he really to be worshiped we've never worshiped anybody except the god of heaven the god of the torah we've never worshiped anybody like that you have those who are hesitating all right now what i'm wanting to point out is this in this room there are worshipers and in this room there are hesitant doubters in this room are people that really have it all together and in this room are people who don't have it all together the fact is jesus is okay where you are as long as you are here as long as you are present with him as long as you are presenting yourself to him and available to him he will take you out of where you are in doubt and hesitancy and he will bring you where he wants you to be if you are available to him so here's the doubters but at least they're available here's the worshipers and they are available and jesus is going to commission both of them so you might have it together you may not have it together for those of us who appear to have it together i'm just going to tell you outright we don't have it together here we all are the question is are we available to jesus not do you look like you have it together or are you not together not are you discounting or are you valuable are you available to jesus and if you're available to jesus he can use you you say well i might not have the talent that mason has he didn't ask you about your talent level the talent level is up to him 
the capacity that you and I have is up to him he's the creator the means and the opportunity is up to him the availability is up to us will we be available to him and if we will present ourselves available to him then my friends he can do wondrous things in the midst of us he will take us out of the places where we are in our failures and he will bring us to a place of righteousness so i love the fact that this is one of the most well-known and quoted passages in the new testament it is the marching orders of the church and you have just a mixture of people in various states of their confidence in jesus christ but they are there and they are available so what is it that's most supremely important to us in this text is first that we are available to christ so you don't have to be the brightest you don't have to be the sharpest you don't have to be the most devoted and you certainly don't have to be the most zealous but you do have to be where the lord wants you to be in availability so jesus has the disciples where he wanted them in the place of galilee he told them that's where he would be and that's where they are now because they're available to him jesus is going to reveal himself he's going to reveal his authority he is going to reveal his truth, his commissioning report to them and what they are to do from here on out. And he's going to make some promises to them, including that his presence would never leave them, that he's going to be with them to the end of the age. His presence would be with them and he would empower them. So he demands of us our availability and he gives us the means by which we can do in our availability. And I'm going to just walk through this text with you by mentioning three things. And the first is that Jesus is making his authority known. For those who are available to him, he's saying, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Now that is a big statement because if we grab hold of that statement of the authority of Christ, then we can move forward in his commissioning. Now the authority of Jesus is as certain as the eternality of Jesus. As certain as we are of his eternality we can be certain of his authority and i know that to be true because in his eternal past he determined that he would be the creator of all things in fact there is nothing created that he did not touch so as the creator he is authoritative over all things as sustainer of all things all things are because he wants them to be as the sustainer of all things he is the authoritative one over all things certainly he has always been and he forever will be revelation jesus says it this way i'm the alpha i'm the omega i'm the beginning and the end you don't get more authoritative than that jesus wants his authority to be known and in the authority we find the preeminence of christ that is the greater of christ we find him above all things Colossians 1 talks richly about Jesus who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation the preeminent of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is the head of the body i'm saying jesus is the church the head of the church he's the beginning he's the firstborn from the dead the first to be resurrected from the dead so everything in him might find its preeminence everything in him he might be preeminent and you know that god 
was in him. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And as you see on the screen, through him, God would choose to dwell so that he could reconcile all things to himself on earth or in heaven. We know these things to be true about the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So in all of that, Jesus is greater than, and in all that greatness, he is of authority over all things. He wants his authority to be known. Now, you're going to have to put your thinking cap on with me for a moment, because I want you to know about the preeminence of Christ, and I want you to know about the Christology of Jesus. I want you to see this in the chart that's on the handout and on the screen for you, and see where this is taking us. You see on the far left side, Jesus from eternity past was divinely supreme and he was divinely sovereign. Jesus is the bodily form of the Trinity, the triune God. He is that bodily form. So he has always been divinely supreme and divinely authoritative. When he came to earth, he was coming to earth divine. He is altogether God but he is altogether man as well. And in that, he humbled himself in the form of man, and he sets aside his independent authority. So he has all authority, but he sets aside the independence of his authority as the God-man and his divine prerogatives. There were certain things that he had the prerogative to do. Jesus said, hey, do you not understand that I could call the legion of angels and they could rescue me from this moment? He had the prerogative to do that, but he deferred that. He, he discounted that independent authority and his divine prerogatives. He didn't do those things. In fact, what he did was he placed himself under the authority of the Father. And this is true, and Jesus says, I say nothing that I've not heard my Father say. And he places himself under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He goes nowhere that the Holy Spirit does not instruct him to go. He is fully divine, he is, a fully, he is fully authoritative, but he has put aside his independent authority as the God-man. And when he is resurrected and he ascends, ascends to the right hand of the Father, which he has done, and that throughout eternity, he is reseated on his heavenly throne and he is divinely supreme and he is divinely authoritative. But on his ministry of earth, he says, all authority has been given to me. So the authority of God that was given to Jesus, the man God, that authority was given to him so that he might do the will of God the Father. And you see that authority as he, it is ruled over. Jesus can go to a lame man and say, rise up and walk, because he has authority over all sickness and disease. He can go to the demoniac and he can say, be cast out of him, and the demon flees because Jesus has authority over the demons. He can stand on the boat and steal the waters because Jesus has authority over all nature. I mean, all along the way, Jesus' authority is being revealed. And now Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me to carry out the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That he might seek and save the lost. And now he says to us, his followers, now go. And my presence will be with you as you go. Make disciples. Of all nations, make disciples. How do you make disciples? You baptize them. And you teach them the commands that I have given. So this is commissioning to us. 
As Jesus came and was authoritative in his coming, now he makes us authoritative in our going. He takes the mission of Christ and he puts us on the mission. And so we are co-missioned with Christ. We have the commission that Christ had as his mission. So what a glorious opportunity for us to understand the authority of Christ and have that authority that has been given to us. The great I am had that and now he gives that authority to us that we might uh, do the work that he has called us to do so by jesus's words and actions he proves superior over all things because he has greater authority over all things in the village of Nyango, nigeria there is a sim chapel and guest house a sudan sudan interior ministries chapel and guest house the chapel is called kirk memorial chapel and behind the chapel, which is a picture on the screens for you, is a small cemetery where are buried the bodies of missionaries and some of their children who died while they were on the mission field there in Nigeria. Some of those tombstones have some pretty troubling readings on the top, like Ethel Arnold, September the 1st, 1928. Born September the 1st and died September the 2nd, 1928. One-day-old baby. Or Barbara J. Swanson, born 1956, died six years later, 1952. Or Eileen Louise Whitmore, born May 6th, 1952, and died at the age of three, July 3rd, 1955. For many families, the cost of taking the gospel to Nigeria was significant. Charles White, who was there and wrote the story about seeing that little graveyard, ended it with a tremendous sentence. It's powerful. He said this, The only way we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried his son on that mission field. The only way for this to make sense is that God put his own son in a tomb and he was resurrected. And as he was resurrected, so will they be resurrected. So we understand that even in the commission that has been given to us to make known the, the gospel throughout all the nations and make disciples among them and baptize them and teach them, even if it costs you your life, the authority of Jesus will be greater than that death that you or your children experience. Go in power. Go in peace. The worst thing they can do to you is kill you. The very worst thing. Jesus says that's far short from the one who can take your life and your soul as well. When we understand the authority of Jesus and the authority that has been given to us, then we can take the gospel and the commission that Christ has given to us and we can run with it. Jesus was victorious over the grave. He's certainly victorious over death. And so will every child of every missionary. And so will every missionary who is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. So will they be victorious. Death does not have the last word. Amen. The sting of death will be gone. And the victory that death once held will be no more. There will be a greater victory. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that will be for all of his followers. So Jesus is commission to his disciples is to take the word of god the commission is to make disciples to all nations 
And yes, it comes at a high price sometimes, including death, but the authority of Jesus is not denied even if death is our plot. The opposite is true. For those who are saints of God, we find the ultimate victory of God even over death, which is what we celebrated last week with Good Friday and the Resurrection Sunday. So Jesus' authority is made known. Secondly, Jesus' commission is given to us to make disciples of all nations. He says real clearly, go, baptize, teach. My presence is going to be with you till the end of this age. So based on the authority of Jesus Christ, we are to do what he has called us to do, to put into practice that which he has called us to do. And that is to just simply make disciples. So our mission is to purposefully share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ with people, calling them to trust and submit their lives to Jesus Christ, helping them to learn and understand the way of Christ by the teachings of Christ so that they might live in honor of Christ and they might invest that same thing and multiply that in other people and do it over and over and over as many times as they can until they are called home to be with the Lord Jesus. That's, that's the call. Speaking about the purpose that Christ has given to us, John MacArthur notes that the primary purpose for saved people were a loving fellowship that we would have as a primary purpose that we would have a loving fellowship. He says that God would go ahead and take us immediately to heaven because the spiritual fellowship that we will have in heaven is perfect. It's unhindered for sin. It can't get any better. It's without disharmony. It's with genuine love and affection for each other. But that's not the primary purpose why we're saved. The primary purpose why we're saved is not to learn God's word. For it was to learn God's word, we would be immediately taken to heaven because we're in heaven, you know exactly the truth of God's word and all things are open to us. The primary purpose of the church is not that we would be saved to learn God's word. The primary purpose of the church for us being saved is not that we would live to give him praise. For if that were the case, we would be taken on up to heaven where there is ongoing praise without any trouble of selfish ambition or pretense the primary purpose of the church being saved is not to praise god there's only one reason why the lord allows his church to remain on earth to this day and that is to seek and save the lost that's why the lord has us here otherwise we would be already with him and all the tears would be wiped away and all the the uh, sin and the disease would be gone but the lord said for us to stay and while we're here to make disciples of all nations baptize them and teach them jesus says as the father sent me now i send you go and go in the authority that i have so therefore the believer who is not committed to winning people to jesus not committing to sharing the good news of christ not committing to baptizing them not committed to teaching them the truths of god's word that person either has to ask am i genuinely saved or am i doing the purpose of god on this earth Man, we can waste and squander the opportunities that we have this day by watching reruns and watching television and surfing through other people's lives on social media and never even given thought to the commission that Christ has placed us on. But Meadowbrook, I'm praying that we're different, that we're understanding the authority of Jesus and the joy of following suit with him. So Jesus explains his his mission for us is making disciples. There's a lot of books on discipleship out right now. For the last four or five years, it's sort of been the catch word for a lot of churches. 
we really dive into making disciples and people are wondering what this whole discipleship thing is all about jesus said it pretty simply he said here's how you disciple people you baptize them and you teach them everything i've ever commanded you baptize people and you teach them the things that christ has commanded that is how we disciple we engage people first with the gospel unto salvation that they might be immersed into christ quite literally in the waters of the baptistry pool and then we teach them the commands of christ we teach them and nurture them the commands of christ nurture those truths into them and it's pretty simple isn't it that you and i and i would engage people in that way to make disciples in that way that's why all of us ought to be in discipling relationships very genuine disciple relationships Kay and i sit down on monday evening with three other couples and our whole purpose is to disciple them we take the teachings of Jesus and we just read through and talk about and teach each other the teachings of Jesus and remind each other about those things. That's essential for all of us to have relationships like that. It's part of the commission that God has given to us. It's essential that people are introduced to the gospel message, that we would introduce them to their need for a Savior and Christ's lovingly care and provision in Himself to be that Savior. It's essential that we ask them, when you face God one day, how are you going to face Him in all of His holiness with all of your sin? How will you not be judged by a righteous God who is altogether perfect? How will you not be judged by Him? How will you answer and how will you pay for the cost of your sin which requires your death and separation from God? How will you manage that in the moment? Well, I don't know. Well, God wants you to know how this can be and His Son is the one who can give that to you and share with them the gospel that's what we're called to do that's who we are so we make disciples by baptizing people immersing them into the truth and in faith in christ and immersing them into the waters of christ by being immersed uh, we are made together new you know there's a couple of of ideas in immersion here first jesus immersed himself into our sin and our death and the judgment of god against us He immersed himself into that, bore the weight of that, carried the crushing load of that on the cross of Calvary. And then he, was, he died with it, placed in that grave, was resurrected out of that. And now he invites us to be immersed into him. This is the beauty of the epistles like Colossians, which talks about us being immersed into Christ and Christ being immersed into us. The beauty of him being immersed into us is that he takes our sin and removes it from us. And the beauty of us being immersed into him is that we have all of his righteousness credited to us. What a beautiful thing that is. Have you done that? Have you by faith allowed Jesus the glorious opportunity to be judged by his own father with your sin and your judgment? Have you, in recognizing that merciful act on the cross, surrendered your life to him, choosing to submit yourself to him? If he loves you in that way, you'll spend the rest of your days loving him by giving your life as a living sacrifice to him. Have you done that? Have, has the righteousness of Christ been immersed into you? Is it credited to you so that you can be declared before God holy and righteous without blame? All of that is an act of faith that Christ has accomplished 
Have you trusted in him in that? You say, I have. Well, then have you been baptized? Have you been baptized in the waters of the pool where everybody sees that your faith is expressed in the pool where you are lowered into that water and raised up out of that water? I'm here to tell you, it's the first command that Christ gives to us in our trusting him that we would be baptized. It's the first step of obedience to him. He says to be saved and be baptized. That's the pattern in the New Testament over and over and over. Those who were saved were, were baptized. The only person that you're going to be able to point to that was saved and not baptized was nailed to a cross right by Jesus Christ. And unless you're nailed to the cross, you ought to be saved and baptized. You say, well, I'm not so sure that I want to do that. It's kind of embarrassing, kind of humiliating. Yeah, that's the whole point. Jesus is naked on a cross, bearing our shame. <laughs> if you're not willing to be baptized in a pool in front of people who are believers and rejoice in your decision, how will you ever be gospel communicators to an unbelieving world? If you've been saved and you're not baptized and you're holding out to not being baptized, I would say I wouldn't hold on to that salvation. Because it doesn't make sense if you call him Lord but discount the first thing he commands you to do. It just doesn't make sense. So discipling people is first with baptism immersing them into christ immersing them into the spirit immersing them into truth and immersing them into the waters leading them to do that through scripture and the second part of making disciples is teaching them the commands of christ so we ought to be very evangelistic giving opportunity and taking opportunity to share the good news of christ with other people and that evangelism if it's fruitful will allow you to catch the harvest as it's falling as jesus is shaking the limb and that fruit is falling right there in your hands that sometimes it's just wondrous when that happens but you ought to take it the next step if forever if it's ever possible to begin to disciple them to the instruction of jesus christ that's the discipleship where you're leading them to faith and you're discipling them in the teachings of god's word that christ has given to us teaching them the commands of christ so this is a Christian church, not because we all claim to be Christians, but because we proclaim the teachings of Christ. This is a Christian church. Now, not all churches are Christian. Not all people who claim Christianity go to Christian churches. A Christian church centers their teaching on Christ's teachings, the Word of God. And we're going to be known as that. We're not going to be the biggest church in the area. I can tell you that. We are not going to be that. Because we live in a culture that has itchy ears and they want to hear how they can be happy, how they can be blessed, and how they can have more temporal stuff that's all going to be burned away. They want to know how to be successful today in their family and in their job and in their life. They want to know that kind of stuff. Very few people want to know the teachings of Christ. But we are going to be a church that's known by the teachings of Christ. 
We're not going to be a church that's moving the hearts of people with music and everybody talking about the music. We're not going to be a church that has a great display of light show. We're not going to be a church where the the pastor is an intellectual teacher and he he really uh, strikes the chords of your mind. That's not going to be who we're going to be, how we're going to be known. We are going to be known as a church that sings the teachings of Christ, that preaches the teachings of Christ and centers its missions on the teachings of Christ and does its ministry to the teachings of Christ. That's what we're going to be. And as long as the authority of Christ is given to us, we might as well be. As His presence is with us, we will teach Christ. It will begin with His life and His resurrection and His resurrection, and it will be that He is coming again. I'm grateful that you're along the journey together. Then finally, Jesus promises his power and his presence to us at all times behold i'm with you always to the end of the age jesus stated the mission pretty simply didn't he when you can't get more simple than make disciples to all nations baptize them teach them i'll be with you it's a simple simple message but it's not simple to do it's difficult your neighbors it's difficult to teach your neighbors the teachings of Christ your co-workers it's difficult to share with them their need for a savior to go into foreign lands it's difficult to strike up a conversation with somebody somewhere you may or may not know it's difficult if it's a gospel conversation oh the message is simple But doing it is difficult, which is the reason why Jesus said, do it in my authority and do it with my presence. With his authority and his presence, the difficult becomes not just doable, but it becomes the way of your life and you'll thrive in it. But you've got to understand the authority of Christ. That's where it begins. I tell you, the majority of my Christian life, the commission was a duty if we'll see the authority of Christ if we'll understand that authority and we'll understand his presence it won't be viewed as a duty it will be viewed as the continuation of Christ in us it will just become more and more natural to us may the Lord find us faithful there being actively doing what he's commissioned us to do when he calls us home. So help us, Father, I pray, uh, that we would learn this passage and we would learn its truths and believe them and trust them. In this room, there are all levels of people, various sorts, Lord, some who have surrendered their lives in worship to you and others who are hesitant or doubting. Some are journeying a long way into this faith walk and others are just beginning. Some are matured in their faith and some are babes in their faith. And yet here we are, Lord, wanting to be available to you so that you might take us where we are and begin a journey with us, with your presence and with your authority. So help us, God, I pray. And may the world around us our neighbors, our co-workers, our community, the state, the nation, the world be affected and impacted 
by our understanding the authority that has been given to us in Jesus' name. To his glory and to our good, I pray. Amen. Thank you.